Hello and welcome to The Crux, the weekly women's agenda podcast. On today's ep, we talk about the guilty verdict finally returned in Jared Haynes' case, Sanat Marin's sad election defeat and what it signals for female leadership around the world, and the gender pay gap bill that might actually help close the gender pay gap. Thank you for listening. We are recording this episode of The Crux on the 5th of April, 2023. My name is Angela Priestley, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-founder and Women's Agenda Editor, Tyler Lambert. Hello, Tyler. Hey, Ange. Okay, so lots to get talking about this week in the lead up to an extra long weekend. But first, as usual, let's start with the wins. What is your win? My win this week, um, well, if anyone wants to be acquainted with the most stunning magazine cover you could ever see, I encourage them to go and pick up a copy of Vogue Philippines if you are if you all able to, be. <laughs> to do that. Uh, just make a quick little, you know, bypass to the Philippines to pick that yep. one up. You could probably Google it as well. That might be your better option. Or go to our Instagram account where we have uh, provided an image of it. But yeah. that, that is also an option. These are all great options. <laughs> I still prefer my quick sojourn to Manila. But nonetheless, Vogue Philippines really have broken ground and they have used a 106-year-old tribal tattoo artist called Apu Wang Odd on the front cover she's become the oldest person to ever be featured on the cover and this picture is just unreal and you sent it to me earlier in the week and quite honestly it gave me goosebumps I think it's so beautiful and so powerful and you know it doesn't feel tokenistic I do feel like we're at a a different point in time and it is nice to see the beauty and fashion industry which let's face it has perpetuated a lot of harm and unrealistic expectations and discrimination and body dysmorphia uh, on women for generations. But it's nice to see that there has been somewhat of a shift here and we're starting to change course and to showcase real people that we actually want to hear about, that we actually want to see, you know, the stories that we want to know more about. And this is just really beautiful. That is my win. Ange, what do you reckon? (laughs) Uh, Well, I won't disagree with it being a beautiful image. That would be quite controversial, wouldn't it? (laughs) But it's an extremely beautiful image and it was obviously very striking and, yeah, we obviously couldn't help but share it amongst each other and also share on Women's Agenda too. Yes. What's your win? My win, I will go to former New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. It is today Ardern's last day in Parliament and she'll be giving her final speech in Parliament at some point any minute now. So it's a shame that I couldn't actually quote that speech in this episode, but I'm sure we'll have something up on it shortly. So obviously, you know, it's sad that she is going and everything, but um, it goes back to that same idea that we wrote about a few months back and we likely spoke about on this podcast, but that idea of being a leader who knows when it is time to go. Hmm. Her standing down, I mean, it was really timely. It seems like maybe it was time for her to go. I think like a lot of people would have liked her to stick around, but it's interesting to see uh, the note in the polls that her party, Labor, has had a bit of a reinvigorated push in the lead up to their August election later on this year. So that is something she knew when it's time to go. We know a lot of people who don't know when it's time to go. So a good so many win people. and a lesson that she was able to share that. Um, I'm looking forward to reading her final speech And also it's come out today as well what her post-political life will look like, which includes being announced as a trustee 
on Prince William's Earthshot Prize, which is this like global environmental prize that's um, quite significant and influential. We've actually seen some great wins from Australia on that prize too. Adern will also be a special envoy for the Christchurch Call, which is an initiative founded in 2019, which brings together countries, so brings together governments and tech companies to help combat extremism online, which was founded after the attacks on the two mm. mosques in Christchurch. Um, Adern had a quote about that, which she gave in an interview the other day regarding that appointment, and she sort of spoke about this final duty, that she still feels a duty to those victims of that mm. massacre and to the families and the relatives and the friends that she met during that time. So I just mm. thought that was really uh, special to hear from her and just to note that legacy that that can go on with a leader who knows when it's time to step down. I know. Isn't that novel? No, but it <laughs> is It is very sad that today's her last day and I'm, we'll talk more about her leadership on this podcast as we keep going. But, you know, I, I know that there have been contentious moments for sure and nothing is clear-cut in politics. I'm sure she's not done everything perfectly who can, but I do feel like her legacy is just such a powerful one. And um, another piece we've published today from the conversation highlights her legacy of leading with kindness during a very unkind period in history and she certainly became the poster child for that. So on to our first story today, Ange, and it does come with a bit of a trigger warning because a guilty verdict has been returned for former rugby league star Jared Hayne overnight who was convicted of sexual assault and it's the second time the same verdict has been ruled over this incident and it's also the third trial. It's a story that has dominated headlines since 2018 and there wouldn't be a person in this country that doesn't know what had happened, doesn't have an opinion on what has happened and, you know, you have to wonder about the kind of trauma that it is inflicted on on the victim who has you know, incredibly courageously fought through this entire period and really kind of fought to gain some semblance of justice on this matter. And, you know, it's hard to really call it justice when it's been five years and and she's had to endure what she's had to endure. But it is a really sharp reminder of how much women still need to go through in this country on rape allegations and Madeline Hislop's written about this case in particular today and just really detailed you know what has gone on over that period and what it has meant and um and it probably isn't over yet because Haynes stood outside of court yesterday and said he was 100% innocent and the news was devastating and he was still going to seek legal advice and follow pathways there so presumably it's not over so it just shows what needs to change really our our system is completely shot what are your feelings on this my feeling is that this guilty verdict I mean it just shows how many guilty verdicts you never ever ever see because the thing about that five years three trials first in 2020 a hung jury, second trial in 2021, uh, convicted Hain on two counts of sexual assault. Conviction was later quashed, retrial ordered. This is that third trial, but the victim went through it over again. Mm. And in this case, you know, there was recorded evidence in this particular trial or these particular three trials, I should say. Mm. So Hain says he maintains his innocence 100%. So I think that's kind of indicating that it isn't over. 
and just looking at some stats earlier that you know, 87% of sexual assault cases go unreported in Australia. So that's like already minimizing the pie that we'll mm. ever get to in terms of a guilty verdict. Just 1.5% of sexual assault cases end in a conviction. I just can't even fathom that stat there. And then to think that even when they do end up in a conviction, likely that there will be an appeal, likely, you know, these things will happen. So even with that 1.5%, so 98.5% of alleged victims who go through this, it doesn't result in a conviction. Just to think what these victims do go through when they go through these trials, they have to relive the experience, they are shamed on the stand, they have to go through their trauma over and over again, they'll be asked all manner of questions and there is no limit on the amount of hours that they will spend on the stand. There isn't actually a cap on the amount of hours and how much time they have to go through that. I read that recently from Brie Lee. So again, even when they do, when they go through all of this, it can end in a retrial, it can end in an appeal over and over again, years of this, five years of this. It's just incredible. So sadly, I don't think this is over. No, I mean, and I think there have been a number of things in recent times, you know, Brittany Higgins' case as well, that really have made women feel so furious about what the system in Australia does and how it is just so stacked against victims reaching any kind of resolution, getting any kind of peace and closure and justice. And I really do hope that reform will come. I I think that to achieve that is monumental because it means an overhaul of so many different things. And frankly, there's often inertia when any of those kind of debates happen from, you know, the stakeholders that need to make it happen and policymakers that need to make it happen. But I mean, it is just, it's really sickening and I feel for this woman so much. And even, you know, again, going back to like how her character is thrown into question and Hayne stood outside today and was talking about how, you know, he hadn't lied in any of the evidence that he had given. And apparently there had been some text messages that she had erased from her phone. But again, it's that notion that she is a liar, that she is fabricating the whole thing. And that's exactly what she'll have to keep going through for God knows how long, but it's really not okay. Mm. I mean, I think that reform is possible and it's clear, like some of the ideas are around obviously having specialised courts to deal with this that could really help. Other things around education for jurors mm. so that they understand what some of the common mm. myths are that come up around rape so they can understand what's happening if, you know, a witness is being asked about her clothing, that they can understand that, you know, alcohol isn't mm. any kind of reason or justification for rape. I think that that can happen and I, I kind of look to Grace Tame on this, um, not to do this, but like I look to her as an example of what can be achieved and, you know, with her campaign that she led in Tasmania around the right to be able to be named and come out with your story and how that changed laws there and obviously yeah. later resulted in her being named Australian of the Year and the work that she's done against sexual violence then. It's so sad that it should take victim survivors to lead on this reform. Like it's really terrible to think that it has to go back to these victims or that it has to be, you know, someone, uh, a powerful advocate like somebody like Grace Tame. like she shouldn't have to do this. She should be able to live a different life and do something else. But in many cases it has actually required these women to not only relive this trauma but to try and get the kind of change that we need and the reform that we need to sort of relive it over and over again. 
Mm. Well, we might move to our next headline for this week and the next story that we want to focus on today. And that is Sanna Marin, Finland's PM, soon to be former Prime Minister, who did concede defeat in the country's general election over the weekend. It was very, very close. The country has quite an interesting electoral system, or should I say former minority government or coalition government, where often multiple parties sort of get in. And when Sanna Marin got in, I remember her becoming prime minister. And I think I still remember the story that I wrote back a few years because she was actually leading a coalition, I believe, of five parties at the time, and they all happened to be led by women. So there was this really kind of striking image of like, when does this ever happen? And it's a really interesting approach because obviously they're not going to agree on anything, uh, any kind of coalition minority government is really, really difficult. And there was Santa Marin leading this coalition of five and because her party had the most seats, so that meant they got to have the uh, Prime Minister of the day. So I believe that's how it works. I think that was an okay summary of my understanding of Finnish politics. Not too dissimilar to our own, except that, you know, they not so reliant on the two-party system as we are. Uh, So in this case, the Social Democrats, they did finish a surprise third in the weekend's election. They were slightly behind the far-right party, which achieved a record vote to come in second on the ballot. And they were behind then uh, the party that led the Conservative National Coalition Party, which on the basis of this result is able to negotiate that next government of Finland and Prime Minister, I believe it would be Pateri Orpo, who will be the next Prime Minister of Finland. So it means that uh, Sanat Marin steps down. Finland had a number of female prime ministers. It's certainly not short of them there. And as I discussed about, you know, number of female heads of parties as well, which is uh, really interesting to see. But I wrote about this issue this week and just kind of crunching the numbers on it because Marin is the fourth female country leader that has stepped down in just three months. Like that is significant. So To go over some stats here, so prior to Marin's defeat, women led just 13 governments among the 193 member states of the United Nations. So now there are just 12 women leading those 193 member states. Less than a third of UN member states have ever had a woman as elected leader. It's according to Pew Research Centre. And so there have been three women who have taken leadership of UN-recognised nations in the past year, including in Peru, in Italy, and Bosnia-Herzegovina, but, you know, three have resigned or been defeated in the past three months. So those three were Marin, Jacinda Ardern, stepping down in New Zealand, and Natalia Gavrilita, who resigned from office and as Prime Minister of Moldova in February. There's also Nicola Sturgeon, who has stepped down as the First Minister of Scotland. But Scotland is not recognised as a separate UN state. Instead, it's part of the UK. Nicola Sturgeon, I think, may have had something to say about that. But anyway, for the purposes of this discussion, so three stepped down for the UN, but four world leaders in the past three months. So it's just a lot when we just don't have that many in the first place. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when the stats are already down, when the chips are down, you don't want to be losing anymore. Um, Yeah. And I think especially the women that we have lost there, you know, Ardern, Sturgeon, Marin, um, even Merkel over in recent times as well. You know, these are really quite pivotal, trailblazing female leaders that we have come to really look up to and rely on uh, for a little bit of normalcy in global affairs. Uh, so it's really devastating to see. And uh, if Zaying Wen also goes, I will cry. It's just not looking great. I do want to say like 
to me, it feels like there's been quite a sharp shift in Australia, like at a domestic level, um, in terms of female leadership in politics, at least. You know, I think our parliament is more diverse and representative than we've ever seen it look before. And I think analysis this week of what is going on in politics kind of points to the fact that our conservative parties are not gaining any ground. You know, it, it seems like there's been this very sharp kind of fall off a cliff there for for those parties that are led by predominantly male and culturally homogenous groups. So I think that that's, it's been quite interesting to see globally it is still this tug of war. And I, I don't see that that tug of war is still happening as acutely as it was happening maybe in past years in Australia. You know, I, obviously there are still widespread support for conservative politics in Australia, but I think it's not enough to form government at the moment. You know, if we had another election today, we had another election in three years, like I can't imagine the Liberal Nationals being able to get in at this point. Maybe that's my read on it. Maybe that is hollow optimism, but that's how I I see it. And I think that there's still a sharper kind of tug of war happening globally. Yeah, but I mean, globally, maybe it's just that the conservative parties in Australia don't have women in them. Um, So the far right party that achieved that record vote in Finland. So that party is led by a woman. Mm. Georgia Maloney in Italy, obviously on the far right. So it's not suggesting for a second that you're going to get like progressive politics. I guess we've had some good examples in the past few years where we have seen that. And there is certainly evidence that points to that, particularly when it comes to, say, reproductive health and women's rights in different countries about the impact that women in politics and women in leadership can have. But it certainly doesn't mean that you can't have, you won't have conservative women in those positions of power. I mean, you could get a woman as the Republican nominee in the United States as well. Yeah. The first female president of the United States could be a Republican. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Women could be the clincher in Australia rather than political ideology. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, just a thought, but also probably a good reminder for the uh, LMP to get some bloody women in their ranks. Yeah. (laughs) If they want to gain any ground. Yeah. Yeah. Many to address their policies as well to get some women because it certainly didn't help they had a woman running in the uh, Aston by-election. No, well, exactly. Apparently Australians were having none of it. Oh, sorry, the people of Aston were having none of it. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's what I mean, you know. It Mm. seems like that kind of brand of politics is not flying so easily in Australia at the moment. Mm. Um, Whether that stays is another thing, but I cannot see, especially after the Aston by-election, especially... Looking at the stats in Victoria and the decline of the LNP at the federal level in Victoria since 1996, you know, it's very hard to see how they're going to gain ground there. And if they don't, then they can't win a federal election. So Mm. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe they could, I mean, sorry, this is a side point. We're never going to go here in this sort of a conversation. But like when I was looking at that Finland system, I was, and I won't call it a system. I think it's just how the cards have fallen over their last few elections is that you see how multiple parties form coalitions. And I wonder if maybe we could be heading for something closer to that rather than the two-party system. And I don't know what that says for democracy, but you would think that the LMP needs to find a third or something else to form a coalition with somewhere else if they ever hope to build up the numbers. And it's very, very likely that third, whatever that is, uh, is going to be 
more to the center than where they currently are on the right, which would sort of swing things back into the center again. And go food for thought. Okay, so to our final story this weekend, and let's wrap it up on a high. The federal parliament pushed through a bill this week that will likely have far-reaching beneficial impacts on gender equality. Uh, From early 2024, the gender pay gap data of employers with 100 or more workers will be published, a key reform to drive transparency and action towards closing the gender pay gap. And Minister for Women, uh, Katie Gallagher, addressed the bill saying women have waited long enough. Ain't that the truth? Uh, She said on current projections, it will take another 26 years to close the gender pay gap. Women have waited long enough for the pay gap to close. This government will not let them wait another quarter of a century. And she added that the gender pay gap bill will kind of be a benchmark for how they close the gap in other areas as well. And this is, I think, quite a crucial measure because we know transparency of pay is a big reason behind the pay gap because employers uh, are just kind of getting away with whatever they want to get away with. Um, And this will give them, force them into some kind of accountability. It'll enable female employees to have conversations and to inquire about their pay and to push for for greater pay and it won't allow them to to kind of keep going with that that status quo and the pay gap in Australia I think we recorded this a couple of weeks ago but it is still at 13.3 percent so in real terms that means that the average weekly full-time earnings of a woman in Australia are $253.50 lower per week than the equivalent for men and I could really use $253.50 a week. That would allow me to go and party with Santa Marin. Mm-hmm. Ange, what do you reckon? So first of all, thank God we only need to hire, you know, like another 90 or so employees before we're going <laughs> to be in the threshold of reporting our own gender pay gap, <laughs> yeah. which I believe is zero. Yeah. <laughs> so You. <laughs> go us. I Obviously, I think it's a good move. Um, so... I guess I think the the point about transparency and how powerful it is. So firstly, that the gender pay gap, like we, we, we're not about that ABS figure, but, you know, it, it really is a lot more, particularly in certain industries that are really going to have to respond to this bill, like financial and insurance services, which is the industry with the biggest gender pay gap, which is well into the 20 mark as a percentage. So you know, transparency makes a difference and they've got this legislation, something similar in the UK, I think it's over... 200, 250 employees there. I just happened, I stumbled across a story just earlier this morning that was looking at Goldman Sachs and HSBC where their pay gaps have actually widened in the UK. And I sort of looked into that and I was like, it's so weird. Is it because the figures have just been published or what is it? But it was a Reuters story. And I think those two companies have actually gone to the media to share their gender pay gap. So obviously they're anticipating this and they want to put it out there. And so they get to control you know, the narrative a little bit more, I guess, to, to highlight that they've got this pay gap. But we know that they wouldn't actually be talking about their gender pay gap at all if they didn't have the legislation knowing that it's going to be publicly available um, eventually and publicly published so uh, I think that sort of helps demonstrate the win. And I know that, yeah, we're, we're thinking of talking about the Cricket Australia deal in this episode as well, and there's been a real win there. And I think this also speaks to what happens with transparency. So at that professional level in sport, we do get clarity over what players are earning. And you can see how like talking about those figures starts to make 
a massive difference once you draw attention to it and once you say, well, you know, these players are earning this, but look at the audience records, look at the viewing, look at like, you know, these deals that are being made with free-to-air TV to showcase these games and it starts to open those conversations. And we saw it with AFLW in 2022 where players got something like a 95% pay increase and I think more to come. We've seen it with the NRLW more recently where, I mean, what were really quite dismal salaries of players were spotlighted and then male players stepped in to support them and there's been, you know, I think it was pay rise from 37,000 or so in 2023 to 63,000 in 2027. So not huge for those players, but a huge leap and a huge difference. And those increases will continue. But this Cricket Australia one, that's a landmark deal. So they will see Women's Big Bash League players receiving an average package of 151,000. So that's a state level. And they will get match payments of just over $2,000 a day, which is the highest in any women's team sport in Australia. So significant. And that, that's the, when you know, like we, we see what the, what the earnings are at this level. We don't know about the sponsorships and the individuals and things like that, what they get on the side. But we know about, you know, salary caps. So you start to see what it is that these individual players are earning and what the difference is between the men and women. And you can start to stack it up against, you know, what they are bringing to the game, what they are bringing in terms of advertising when it comes to viewing, what they are bringing in terms of stadium capacity. And you can see the need to fight for them to get more. Totally. I think it is a very big move. And certainly uh, where we see any noticeable gaps from that data, we will be reporting on it very widely. (laughs) So, yes. Yeah, bring on the uh, gender pay gap bot for International yeah. Women's Day when any company Let's that mentions once. Yeah. <laughs> somebody reach out and help. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> yeah. I can't rely on Tyler for that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> All right, so uh, that pretty much wraps us up for another week. Tyler, you are on holidays on Monday. You're in the UK and we haven't yet spoken what we'll do about this, but I'm sure we can figure it out in terms <laughs> of recording a podcast and running a business together on different sides of the world. But what will be on your mind until then and possibly beyond? Um, Yes. So, well, my brain next week will be probably more mushy than usual because I will also be incredibly jet lagged after trying to take a or wrangle a toddler and a nine month old on a 24 hour flight. So that'll be joyous. Um, But post that, well, this week I've just been reflecting on the bullshit unaccountability of men in politics and what is still going on and how many people are still just given cushy gigs despite the fact that they're complete douchebangs. Um, that's not a word. Go again. Works. <laughs> um, look, I've just been thinking about, um, you know, the unaccountability of men in politics and how many people are just able to get away with blue murder still despite you know me talking about progress just before I think that there are so many examples of just people getting away with it and one example I wrote about Mark Latham this week who is still eight years to to serve in parliament and he is going to be on a very nice innings and still be given a very nice pay packet for that entire duration despite the fact that he's sole MO is to be as divisive and toxic as possible as far as I can see and his latest tweet is very much proof of that and you know 
also reflecting on someone like Donald Trump, who is at the moment facing criminal charges, but it seems to have emboldened him and his 2024 presidential campaign. Uh, he does not look like it is going to push him to stand down. I think that if anything, all of the, um, and Andrew were talking about this this morning, but just all of the hype around it is actually probably really dangerous and will only enhance the support that he has in a country that is incredibly divided. So it makes my stomach churn thinking about how these people are just able to, to kind of keep going and uh, operate from a place of really never thinking about what kind of positive change they can enact for society. They've been given this plum opportunity to do so and um, the only thing that they can think about is really um, causing as much damage as possible. And I think against the backdrop of losing four very significant female leaders over the last three months, as we've noticed, noted in this episode, it becomes even more upsetting to see. It does. Anyway, but- a very positive note from me again. <laughs> Uh, well, for the sake of brevity, I'll go with uh, your final thought for the week as well because, I mean, I am thinking about it. I do agree that like the wall-to-wall coverage of the Trump situation is kind of like it is so weird um, to see this and, you know, the helicopters and the pre- this procession of this car coming in and going in. Like, of course, he was always going to use it as a platform to really kind of drive into his 2024 campaign bid. He's already raised more than 10 million US dollars in the last few days and he's constantly out there emailing his supporters asking for more and he's on True Social doing all the tweets and all the caps and all this kind of various stuff to try and get more support behind him and who knows what's going on through social because I don't think you or I are on there. I tried it once and I quickly got off, but, you know, and same with Latham and uh, One Nation, where are they? Where's Pauline Hanson and why would you still want Mark Latham in your party? She's she's condemned him, but she hasn't actually kicked him out of the party. I know he's and also he's just, just gone on holiday. He's I just, just saw that. He's gone on leave. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's That's what paid. they do. They just end up throwing grenades of just shit at everyone and then just running away. That's well, exactly what they do. Well, they go into the wilderness for a while and then they come back because Lathan's been here before, not not with the homophobic tweet of like like to the extent that this was. Oh, no, sorry, you might argue that he's done a lot worse than the so I don't want to compare what has worse in terms of what he has said in the past because a lot of it has been pretty brutal and pretty awful. And he's been dropped from things like Sky News as a panellist, but then he's gotten back in and he's been dropped from various places, but then he's kind of come back in. So, yeah, they do go to the wilderness. They go on holidays and then all of a sudden there they are again. Yep. And it makes me all <laughs> kinds of pissed off. <laughs> On that call for accountability, we will end the episode. So thank you for listening. A reminder that you can catch up on everything that we've discussed on our website at womensagenda.com.au where you can also subscribe to our daily lunchtime newsletter. Thank you for listening.